I'm Jeremy. And I'm Chris. And this is the Audio Buffet. Hey, I got one word for you, Chris. Okay. Monopoly. I want to be the top hat. We're not going to play Monopoly, although it is a fun game, and the topic that we're going to talk about today actually spawned this game. I'm talking about a different kind of Monopoly. I'm listening. The Monopoly I'm talking about is the exclusive possession or control of the supply or trade in a commodity or a service. Which is kind of the idea behind the game, but is a very real-world problem, unless Mm -hmm. you're the one that actually controls the monopoly right so why is a monopoly a problem well the biggest problem with a monopoly for everyone else is that you're pretty much at the mercy of whoever holds the monopoly just like in the game the goal is to control everything it's to control as many of the properties on the board as you can so that you can charge ridiculous amounts of rent anytime anybody has the misfortune of rolling the dice to land on your space Yes, and you also get to control as much of the money as possible, and that's kind of like the end game in this game, is to have the most money, the most properties, the most hotels, and rule the board. That's right. One little pewter piece to rule them all. (laughs) (laughs) And that's pretty much the same rule of a real-life monopoly. You want to control everything so that you can charge anything to anyone. One of the biggest problems with a monopoly is it's impossible to break into that market. Mm -hmm. Let's say once I own all three of the orange properties, I can start building there and then I can charge ridiculous amounts of money and you can't buy any of those orange properties. Mm -hmm. You can't get into that particular market. Mm -hmm. That's the same way it goes with real life monopolies. They hold all the cards and nobody else can get into that market. Right. And you were also telling me something earlier about the kind of like the Romans and the early history of it. Monopolies really didn't start in the early 1900s in the United States, which we will get to that point. We're going to talk about that a little later in the podcast. Uh, But let's go back to the Roman history of this. Yeah. So thousands of years ago, back in Rome, one of the earliest examples of what has come to be known as either a competition law in most countries or an antitrust law, in the United States can be dated back to 50 BC. That's a long, long time ago. They realized that it was a problem and that heavy grain trade fines were being imposed on anyone who was trying to trade grain other than these monopoly holders. So the Romans passed this law called the Lex Julia de Anana during the Republic era. So right around 50 BC. And what this was trying to do was to stop the exorbitant fines for trading. Around AD 301, uh, Diocletian imposed the death penalty for anyone violating the tariff system. So, in other words, you know, buying up everything, hiding the fact that they had more than they really had so that they could use the economic principle of scarcity to drive up prices. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to that a little bit more later. The death penalty was the punishment for doing these kinds of things. So it's obviously been a big problem. There are evidences of additional 
efforts being made in the Middle Ages, leading all the way through European development and into European expansion, into colonization. And anytime anybody has a business that's doing well, they're trying to make it do even more weller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by having more and more each year. And uh, the crazy thing about that monopoly system that was going on in the the Roman times is that it was imposed on everyday goods. So your grains and your meats and things that people needed every day. And they could pretty much jack up the prices mm -hmm. and have all of the goods. And it wasn't really a scarcity in it. And those prices would be imposed on the people that wanted to buy those goods. Right. Because if it's a need, it's not so much subject to the principles of supply and demand. It's just, hey, I have the supply and you have to have it. So you're going to pay whatever I tell you to. Mm -hmm. You want to eat? You got to pay up. Exactly. Which is a problem for people that can't pay up. Right. So let's fast forward a few thousand years and we get to the late 19th century in the United States. It was 1890 and the Congress passed the Sherman Act. This prohibited businesses that were trying to get together and make larger businesses out of a bunch of smaller businesses. And the government could go in and investigate it and pursue those trusts. Now, if you don't know what a trust is, a trust is basically a way that businesses or business owners could gather all of their shares together. And once they gather all their shares together, and then it goes up to a higher business. So if you can imagine like a tree, like a tier tree, there's this one big business at the top and then all these other businesses at the bottom. So the lower businesses would put all of their shares together and it would go up to the top businesses, therefore creating a monopoly. Let's say that Verizon and Sprint and T-Mobile all decided that they were going to merge their companies, their shares, essentially, into one massive mobile provider. Mm -hmm. That would be a trust, mm -hmm. making this one huge monopoly. And you don't have a choice anymore. If you want a cell phone, you got to use Megacell or whatever yeah. you want to call it. <laughs> Megacell. It's <laughs> actually a pretty good name. Providing mobile needs for everyone. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> Except in the late 19th century, this translated into the railroad systems. The president of the North Pacific Railway, Henry Villard, was adamantly against this. He did not want the Sherman Act to come in. So he tried to repeal it. In a sense, the Sherman Act started to fall apart. And in some cases, it perpetuated the monopolies with the full cooperation of the United States government. Yeah, and the monopolies back then were getting so nasty and diverse that you get a company like the Standard Oil Company that controlled not just oil that people needed for heating their homes and whatever, but also lead, which was pervasive in any kind of metalwork back in the late 19th century, and whiskey, of all things. Oh, really? Yeah, don't mess with people's whiskey, man. Makes sense to me. People need lead and oil and whiskey <laughs> and they want options of where to buy their whiskey <laughs> now when you were talking about oil that was uh, founded by john d rockefeller and he is pretty much the richest man in history of all time and during that time standard oil controlled 88 percent of all of the oil that flowed into the united states and when the 20th century came, the company controlled 91% of the oil production and 85% of all sales at the end. Yeah, so that would obviously be considered a monopoly. Mm -hmm. 
Because if you control 90% of the market share of any commodity, then you can pretty much write your own ticket. Yeah, yeah. That brings us almost to the 20th century, which is, you know, fairly recent in terms of world history. What kind of monopolies are we looking at these days that have maybe been around for a long time, but kind of flying under the radar or, or maybe people don't even know they exist or maybe they do know they exist and they just don't care? One that's been around for a while... I don't know if you've ever heard of this company, but it's called De Beers. I have. Now, De Beers deals in the diamond industry. They pretty much are the diamond industry. Uh, correct. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> 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 they own just about all of it. <laughs> yeah, and the De Beers company went into Africa. This is during the massive fiasco uh, in South Africa that resulted in the deaths of countless Africans for the sake of, we'll call it capitalistic gain. Mm -hmm. Um, When diamonds were discovered in the southern region of Africa, people swooped in, people that had money, people that had the means to either mine these diamonds or coerce people into mining the diamonds for them. Uh, There was the movie that came out several years ago called Blood Diamonds. Mm Mm-hmm. They deal with a lot of the conflict that goes around these. You've heard maybe of uh, conflict-free diamonds or Kimberly certified diamonds. These are diamonds that are certified from in the ground to in the ring Mm -hmm. to be conflict-free. And some of them are also made in a lab as well. Right. Yeah, there are synthetic diamonds that we can do now, and the quality has gotten a lot better. But before we get too far off track... De Beers goes in and they basically create this virtually limitless supply of diamonds. And before then, it was just royalty that had access to these diamonds because Mm -hmm. they were very, very rare before this huge deposit in Africa was discovered. So they did have value. And then once you flood the market, they weren't going to have any value. Obviously, De Beers wanted them to have value because that's how you make money. Mm Mm-hmm. I've actually heard that the De Beers company has access to pretty much as many diamonds as they want. Yeah, and that that seems about right after after looking up a few things. The the company, they purchase all of the rough diamonds and they send them all to London where they grade them and cut them down and everything. So essentially, there isn't a shortage of diamonds. No, there's definitely no shortage. So why do they still cost so much? A lot of that has to do with how many they release at a time. The De Beers company has actually done the market research and calculated the approximate number of wedding proposals that are made each year. This is kind of a scary statistic if you think about it, because they're tracking how many couples are getting engaged each year. And they say, okay, well, we'll throw out a number. Let's say there are 1,500 engagement rings that are going to be needed that year. They're only going to release, let's say... 1450 just to make it a little bit rarer right because if everybody had it at any given time then there wouldn't be the scarcity Mm -hmm. so by keeping it really tight with the market's demand or projected demand they can set the price at virtually whatever they want even though they have that huge market share there was a big ruling back in 2012 on july 13th 2004 de beers pleaded guilty to engaging in the price fixing of diamond prices. Hmm. And the company's market share plummeted to 50% 
just then in 2012, whereas they had 90% of the market share back in the 1980s. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. How Stuff Works has done a really good podcast on this. If you just go to HowStuffWorks.com and search De Beers or Diamonds, and you'll be able to find that. I highly recommend it. And uh, shoot them an email if you think they did a good job and let them know that you heard about them from us. Yeah. So let's fast forward to now in 2015. Okay. If the sun is out and you're on the beach and you have the huge glare in your eyes, what are you going to go do? Buy a big floppy hat. That is true. (laughs) 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 But I would probably get some sunglasses. Yeah, I would too. I was just making it difficult for you. I know. You want to always make stuff difficult for me. It's funnier that way. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, it's all right. Yeah, so sunglasses. Is that a monopoly? It is a giant monopoly. Hmm, do tell. Have you ever heard of a company called Luxottica? Why, no, I haven't. Good, because that's probably what they want. So I'm looking at my sunglasses right now, and they're Panama Jack, I Mm -hmm. believe. And uh, there are some other ones that people like. They like Ray-Bans or Christian Dior. Or Oakley. Or Oakley's. Yeah. Those yeah. were real big in the 90s. Especially. Oh, yeah. The, the big old giant glasses make yeah. you look like an alien. Yeah, exactly. Well, as a matter of fact, the company called Luxottica out of Italy, they own all of the companies, pretty much, except for... Nope, they own all of <laughs> the, the sunglasses. If you've ever seen Sunglasses Hut or you've walked around in the mall and you've seen those little sunglasses places... It may seem like you have a choice of things. Or even if you've gone to Pearl Vision or any of those places to get reading glasses or glasses that you need to see, Luxottica makes all of them. And they kind of give the illusion of diversity. Yeah. They own companies like Ray-Ban, Dolce & Gabbana, Prada, Ralph Lauren, Versace. All of those really high-end names that people are like, oh, I only wear Versace glasses. Mm -hmm. Actually, you wear Luxottica glasses just like I do, and I got mine at five below. Yep, and it's nuts, though. I I actually did see this before. It was a 60 Minutes kind of like documentary about it, and uh, I don't know if he was the president or the CEO. He was talking about people like the illusion of choice, and that's what we give you. We give you the illusion of choice. They even have their own people that design the sunglasses for Dior. They design the sunglasses for Versace. All in this one factory, they make all of the glasses, and they just put the little labels on there like Dior. That's kind of a freaky one, because before we started doing research for this episode, I never heard of Luxottica. And for them to be such a massive company, pulling the strings behind all these other companies, it unsettled me a little bit that I'd never heard of them. Obviously, there's the whole Honda owning Acura, and those are pretty much the same things. They're just higher-end models of whatever. There's Toyota and Scion, same difference. But those are only two different companies, and it's not a monopoly because if I want a Ford, I can go get a Ford. But... That's kind of weird that they would hold so many apparent competitors. Mm -hmm. Some of the the companies that they sell their glasses for, you may have heard of some of these. Glasses.com, Lens Crafters, Pearl Vision, Sears Optical, Sunglasses Hut, and Target Optical. Jeez. So any of the glasses that you get from any of those places, 
Luxottica makes them. They're all Luxottica. Which on one hand is kind of cool because you can, you know, buy some cheap sunglasses and be like, yeah, these are Italian. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But on the other hand, what are you actually paying for? Like, are you paying a fair market price? Or are you just paying for the illusion of choice? Well, what about companies that aren't monopolies right now, but have all of the earmarks of maybe one day becoming a monopoly? If we would look at tech, which we do, I would say a big one that... I talk to everyone, and they seem to have is Netflix. That's true. They're not a current monopoly right now, because if you want to, you can get the Amazon Prime, the mm-hmm. Amazon Instant, whatever the heck they call it. Yeah. Or, or Hulu. Hulu right, Plus. Right, yeah. That's that's another big one right now, but they don't have anywhere near the market share that Netflix does, to the point where Netflix is actually starting to produce their own shows mm-hmm. that are Netflix exclusive. You're not going to find those on Hulu Plus. Mm-hmm. Now, the neat thing that I kind of find about Netflix is that the monopoly that Netflix has isn't necessarily top down. It's sort of a consumer up type of thing. So we have a lot of people that are cord cutters like me. I I don't have cable. Uh, I probably won't ever have cable as long as I have the choice of the different streaming services. So it's kind of like almost a reverse monopoly in a sense. But is it? And this is kind of this is kind of where I wanted to go with this one. Is it another Luxottica? Is it the illusion of a consumer-driven market? Because it does feel that way, but is that really choice or is it the illusion of choice? Is that really okay to let them have the full monopoly on everything? And what happens when they do get the full monopoly on this? Hulu Plus goes away, Amazon stops streaming iTunes stops you know, providing their movie downloads or whatever, which I don't think will actually happen. But for these online streaming services like Hulu Plus, say, what happens when Netflix rules the online streaming world? Are they going to start jacking their prices? Are they going to end up being the next cable company and charge us $45 a month instead of the $9 a month? Well, we actually can see that they did raise their prices. I do remember this back, it was maybe three or so years ago that I remembered when we had the actual DVD service with them, they raised the prices on the DVDs. I personally stopped and I had a lot of other friends that had the um, kind of putting the DVD in the mail and mailing it back mm-hmm. to them. They stopped as well. Yeah. You could get the one at a time or two right. at a time deal mm-hmm. and unlimited, you know, you could trade the movies in as often as you wanted to. And a lot of people stopped doing that, uh, that I know. Mm-hmm. And I think that worked in favor for Netflix because, one, there's no tangible property. Right. You don't get stuff lost in the mail, scratched up discs, destroyed discs, and you don't have to have a full warehouse of discs. So I kind of think that worked out in their favor. That's true. But is it them controlling their business model that way? Be like, we don't want people to do this anymore, so we're going to make that more expensive and drive them to our streaming service. And then I would be curious as to Netflix's involvement, and I have no evidence that this is what's going on, but I would be curious to find out how involved Netflix might be in these bandwidth throttling antics that seem to be going on right now. Mm -hmm. You need higher bandwidth if you're going to be streaming these high-definition movies all the time Mm -hmm. because TVs are just getting more and more high def and high resolution. We're getting 4K TVs that are right. coming out now. You know, before long, Netflix is going to start offering 
4K streaming services. Well, they do have 4K. House of Cards is in 4K. Jeez. So -hmm. it's already started. Yep. You're going to need a lot of bandwidth for that. A whole lot. Does Netflix get any kind of kickback from Time Warner or Verizon or Comcast or whatever? I would rebut that, and I would say that maybe the reason that the bandwidth is slowing down is because the cable companies, which that's who we buy our internet from, they're slowing that down because their old antiquated service of having cable television with all of the ads and having to wait and interrupting my show when I don't want to see the ads, it's cutting into their profits. So I think they're putting their thumb down on Netflix and saying, hey, you're taking too much of our service away, so we're going to slow the speeds down at peak hours when everyone wants to watch Netflix once they get home from work after a long day. Yeah, that's possible. And honestly, you mentioned ads. I just thought of this. That's one of the things that I think could end up killing Hulu Plus. Mm -hmm. If I'm spending this money so that I can stream my favorite TV show, I don't want to be assaulted with ads at four different points throughout a half hour program. That's not why I'm watching stuff online. If I wanted commercials, I would just watch network TV. So I think by having those ads that are interrupting the show, that could end up being one of the deciding factors on whether or not one streaming service survives and another dies. Yeah, I could I could totally see that. And I have Hulu Plus as well. I do pay the eight bucks a month uh, for Hulu Plus, and I also pay the eight bucks a month for Netflix. And I find Hulu Plus to be great a- as a service in general. Um, I wish they didn't have the ads, but I don't mind the ads because I can watch whatever I want to watch that's on Hulu Plus in my time and on demand. Yeah. And that's kind of the plus and the the reason for me not having cable. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. But a lot of cable companies, they'll even throw in a free DVR if you sign up for their service. <laughs> right. So you can do pretty much the same thing that way. That's true. And you can fast forward through those commercials. That is true. Or pay your 60 to 80 bucks for that, or eight bucks a month, and I sit yeah, through a 30 second commercial. Have you ever noticed that the commercials are always much higher definition than the show itself? Yeah, they always look nice and they come in like immediately. Yeah, there's no like <laughs> loading circle. You're waiting for the commercial to load. It's always right. just boom, there's the commercial. Yep, high def, no buffering, nope. no pixelated squares. And then every two minutes in your show it's hang on gotta load this next part (laughs) no we're not gonna tell you if this guy dies or not (laughs) still waiting oh he got stabbed in the throat (laughs) and end of show yeah yeah that's one of the newer kind of tech companies that i think that could possibly be a monopoly but on the consumer end maybe yeah i could see that going either way it's definitely something to keep your eyes open and watch that one is there any bright side to all of this monopoly stuff well that's a good question let's see i would answer that by saying that we have this wonderful thing called the internet now that we can kind of see where these companies are going like back in the early 1900s people could kind of see that things were happening that way or that there was a monopoly with the oil but they didn't have such a a loud voice but now with the internet we can kind of stop those things. Before the monopolies get a foothold, we can really make a bigger impact. Like with the Netflix, we have a choice right now. So we need to make sure that our choices 
follow what we want long term and not just what's super easy right now. Mm-hmm. It's that conscientious consumer mentality. Yeah. So, and along with that, the internet has things that we can research about different companies and kind of learn more about what we're receiving. Yeah, definitely. As with anything that we've talked about on the show, we encourage all of you listening to it to do your own research on this and you know, make your own decisions and have your own mind about it and keep your eyes open. Yeah, definitely. Go to the audiobuffet.com. You'll see the very top post there is a big old Amazon logo. Just click that and it'll send you to Amazon. You can do your shopping as normal, but what that'll do, it's not going to cost you a penny more but we get a little something for that and it helps to keep these microphones running. <laughs> it helps to make sure that we can afford new microphones when we burn out these. Yeah. Uh, we talk into them a lot. Mine smells like coffee breath. <laughs> <laughs> Mine smells like water and coffee breath. Water? Yes. Water has a smell? Yes, it does. Does it smell like your microphone? Yes, it smells like my microphone. Oh, man. So we might need new microphones. <laughs> or and at least the little foamy things that cover <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the little mic covers. Yeah, so if you're going to do any shopping on Amazon, please do us a favor. Click that Amazon link and do your shopping as you normally would. It's not going to cost you anything, and it helps us out a bunch. Yes, and we totally appreciate it. It's a way that you can give back without directly having to give back to us. Yep. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and leave us a review. That doesn't sound like it's going to help us out, but it actually really does. It helps get the word out. It helps us reach a larger audience and really grow this into something extra special. Yeah. If you have any show suggestions or comments or questions for us, go to the audiobuffet.com. Go to the talkback link. Do a couple of clickety-clacks and you'll be well on your way to sending us a nice little lovely message there. If you don't want to go through all that, you can reach us at theaudiobuffet at gmail.com. And I think that's a whole lot of web addresses and all mm-hmm. kinds of other stuff. Yeah. So Thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully you learned something. We certainly did while doing this show. And we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.